come to life. This is our theme here this Easter, and I think it's a good one because Sunday, Easter Sunday, if anything, celebrates the fact that in that Jerusalem grave, Jesus came back to life. I mean, that is the essence of what we are celebrating. But after coming back to life, Jesus offered new life to all who would trust and believe in him as Lord and Savior. And that life is not just life someday, it is life now. It is a new life by faith in him. And friends, that offer stands to this day. That's not just a dusty 2,000-year-old offer. Jesus is alive right now, and that offer is alive right now to all who will trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is life forever someday, but it is new life right now. So come to life. This is not just a moment. It is a kind of resurrection and a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an endearing story in the Gospel of Mark that gets at this that I want to have as our focus today. Uh, And it's in Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to warn you that if you are a dad of a daughter, this one's going to probably get you a little bit, okay? It's a story about a dad and a daughter. Now, in this chapter, we have a couple of miracles, and the, the two that are that are placed together are the story of uh, the healing of a, of a desperate woman, and then we have the story of the desperate dad. And we're gonna focus on, on the dad, but just to note, the healing of the woman is a very intriguing story you should read later, because this woman had a hemorrhage that just constantly bled, and in that society, it meant that she was unclean, that she was ostracized. This was a, a, a lonely woman, perhaps the loneliest woman in the whole Bible, is this woman who came to Jesus, and Jesus healed her in a most extraordinary way. You should check it out later. I want to focus, though, on the dad, okay? The desperate dad of a dying da- uh, daughter, and again, dads, I warned you. Here we go. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, that would be Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed and thronged about him. So let's set the table here. What's going on? Okay, we are in the Middle East. We are in Israel. And Jesus has just crossed over, it says, what we call the Sea of Galilee. Now, if we were Minnesotans, we would call this a lake, okay? Because they got a few of them up there, and they got some big ones up there. Uh, And the Sea of Galilee is, it's 33 miles around the Sea of Galilee, so it's a pretty good-sized lake. But in the Middle East, in a desert, that's an ocean or a sea. And so they call it the Sea of Galilee, this huge body of fresh water. And Jesus has just crossed the Sea of Galilee. He's gotten off the boat. He is most likely right near where many of, much of his life was lived uh, in, in his ministry in Galilee, which was Capernaum, the city on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And like always, there's a huge crowd that throngs about him. Everywhere Jesus went, 
uh, people were, were, were all around him. And, you know, I, I didn't appreciate entirely uh, Pastor Dustin's diss on golf and the Masters earlier. Um, there's lots of sports that he could pick more appropriately than that one. But uh, I, I have been to these golf tournaments where you have 40,000, 50,000 people and the tournament ends, you know, the last hole, and everybody's on the last hole, it is quite a sight to see people desperate to get close and to see what they can. That's the sense of Jesus. Like, to Dustin's point, this guy's hitting a ball. Jesus has got power flowing from him. He's healing people. People just want to get close to him. Imagine, even in our day, if Jesus was to walk uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago or something the throngs that would just come to him, emptying out of the hospitals of Chicago, just trying to get close. This crowd likely hushed because into the crowd, probably running and pushing his way, comes this guy who is a ruler in the synagogue. That's what it tells us here. And this is important in the story because this was a society that was largely organized around a religious hierarchy, okay? Unlike maybe a political hierarchy in our day, uh, if, if you were a religious leader, you were a person of prestige. You had power and significance, even in our day. Think of a billion people in India, for example. That is also religiously a hierarchical society. Or even in the Middle East, many of the countries in the Middle East, the leaders of their religion are also the political leaders of their country. And that's the sense of it here. Here comes this ruler. It's noted he was a ruler of the synagogue. And that synagogue, to this day, is standing there in Capernaum. You can go to it. It's right off the Sea of Galilee. This was this guy's place. He was a ruler. He was a leader. And he was a man in serious distress. His name was Jairus. And Jairus comes rushing into this throng of people desperate to get to Jesus. And we see in this him throwing aside all sort of like decorum and the expectations of how a ruler, a religious ruler would act, you know, let's be, let's be uh, uh, refined, etc. No, that's not him. He is desperate to get to Jesus. And he comes in, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he says that his daughter is sick. Now, how sick was she? Verse 23, my daughter is at the point of death. Now, this is a, man, this is an ironic moment. Uh, also in ways that context helps us to realize. If you remember, if you know a little bit about uh, Judaism in the time of Jesus, there was a group of people that loved Jesus, largely the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those that identified as sinners. They always went to Jesus. But there was another group that despised Jesus. And these were the religious uh, leaders. They were always the ones that were critical of Jesus and asking him questions, trying to trip him up. And ultimately, in the end, it is the religious establishment that murders Jesus on the cross. And this is the class of people that Jairus runs around in. And no doubt, Jairus, having lived in Capernaum with Jesus, who probably also lived in Capernaum, there's a story about Jesus going to Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law. And uh, Peter's mother-in-law lived with Peter. That's not a biblical principle. It's just a concept uh, there. 
But Jesus healed her and probably lived with Peter. And there's a site in Capernaum, archaeology and tradition says this is Peter's house. And it's like 400 yards from the synagogue in Capernaum. So, and to realize that Jesus' miracles and much of his teachings all happen kind of around Capernaum. I mean, Cana's not that far away where he turned the water to wine. He healed many people in and around Capernaum. The Sermon on the Mount, not far away. Feeding of the, of the thousands, not that far away. Jairus may have personally witnessed Jesus healing other people. We don't know. Here's what we know. His daughter was sick. And when your kid is sick, especially to the point of possibly dying, then that gets your attention. And here you have likely a critic of Jesus, because that was what was expected for, of, of uh, Jairus' tribe, now having his heart turned towards Jesus and falling at his feet. Have you ever noticed how many people really don't care about spiritual things or maybe even don't care about what we're talking about right now as long as life's good and everything's going fine in your life? Spiritual things like ah, blah, 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 right? And maybe that's what, that's what I sound to you like right now, blah, 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 blah. You're not interested in what I'm saying. You have no real interest in what this church is celebrating here today. And it's likely because it, generally speaking, in your life, everything's great. But then I've also noticed that same person, when they get cancer, lose their job, a loved one, like a child in distress, it's amazing how quickly the skeptic begins to look for spiritual answers in life when the brokenness of this world and the reality of life and death bears upon the person. In fact, today, your interest in what I'm talking about may largely reflect whether you are in a crisis of some kind or not. And then we've got kids. Oh, these kids. Do they worm their way into our hearts or what? I don't know how that works, but there's just sort of this thing with kids where they just get into your soul and you love them so much. I remember when I became a parent, somebody told me, it's the hardest job you'll ever love. And I would generally agree with that assessment. It is the hardest thing about that I've ever done in my life, but man, is it fantastic. And parents, are you with me today? Okay, amen to that. So, uh, and, and I wanna share a little bit about my story with this just to relate to, because I can relate to Jairus in this story. Many of you know that I, uh, I was single for a very long time. I pastored this church for 15 years as a single man. And all that time, I longed uh, to be a parent. Now, husband first, then parent. Okay, keep the order correct. But I, I longed to be a parent. And I remember all those years. I mean, I preached the gospel of Mark as a single man. I preached this story as a single man. Does it feel different today with this story than it did when I was a single man preaching Mark 5? Absolutely. Why? Because I can relate to the dad in the story here. I can relate to the kind of love and care that you have for a daughter. I suppose a son as well, but I don't have one, so I can't say for sure. But I think probably for those sons as well. You know, when your kids are sick, there's this kind of papa bear, mama bear instinct that kind of takes over where you will do just about anything 
in order to get them healthy again. And I want to give you one example from my life in, in this. So, again, some of you know the story, but when our daughter Madeline uh, was born, and, and I didn't even know that she was going to be in this service, but she's in her lacy, pretty dress here in the front row. I'm going to try not to look at her because I will burst out in tears probably to do so. But when our daughter Madeline uh, was born, she was only a couple months old, we were on a family trip up in Michigan, and we were um, having dinner at some friend's house, the wife of whom is a medical doctor. Such is the kindness and providence of God in this story. And we had just kind of noticed that Madeline wasn't breathing very, like, normally, and we're kind of like, uh, you know... What do you do when you have a friend that's a, that's a doctor and you're having dinner at their house and your kid might be sick? You say, would you mind just taking a look at uh, Madeline because something doesn't quite seem right. And so she went over and she listened and, and all of that looked at and she looked up at us in alarm and she said, you've got to get this child to a hospital now. And this thing took over me. We rushed uh, to the vehicles we tore out of uh, the neighborhood at warp speed, and it would have been faster, but I was in a minivan. Uh, I mean, I, and, and we broke uh, many a law. Of course, I got a police chief here in the second row. Don't tell anybody, but we broke many a law getting from that house to, uh, to the urgent care, and I don't care, okay? At that moment, I didn't care. I knew my daughter was really sick. And we went running into the urgent care, and I literally said, take my daughter right now. I'll fill out the paperwork later. Take her, take her. And they took her, and they began to examine her. And uh, after they examined her, they said she needs to be ambulanced to a specialist hospital. And so they put her in a gurney, in her car seat. Jennifer got in the ambulance with her. I followed in the van. And we went to a specialist hospital. I've never been more scared in all my life. I wept as I was, as I was driving. And that's Jairus here. This is that moment. Now, by the way, Madeline's fine. A little surgery took care of that, and she looks so cute here in the, in the front row. <laughs> I, I dare to glance at her, but I love you, baby girl, so much. I love you so much. I didn't even know they were going to be in the Easter service. This is awesome. My family in the second row. I'm going to refer to you again, by the way. But let me ask you, in that moment, would you throw yourself at Jesus' feet? What wouldn't you do if you thought your daughter was about to die? And there was one guy in the whole world who could maybe help her. And so with that desperation, Jairus throws himself at Jesus' feet. He could care less what people thought. He could care less about his title and position. He loved his daughter. So Jesus hears this, leaves immediately to go to Jairus' house, and along the way, we have the healing of the woman with the hemorrhage that I mentioned earlier, which is great, but it took time. And we come to find out it took too much time. Look at verse 35. There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And here's a moment in Jairus' life. 
Before he collapses in grief, Jesus says something to him. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And I want you to remember that phrase. I'm going to come back to it. Verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, in that culture, the way that people responded to a death is that all the family and all the friends would come immediately, and they were expected to hire, actually, professional mourners who would come with instruments, and they would sing songs or maybe psalms of lament and help the family kind of have a a verbal expression of the sorrow in their heart. And Jesus comes to the scene. This is a wealthy guy. This is an influential guy. Uh, And the death of his daughter, everybody was probably there. And there's a commotion and all of that. And Jesus comes into this moment, verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Jesus here says, this girl is, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Now what did Jesus mean by that? Uh, Was he saying that she's not actually dead and I'm going to, you know, use smelling salts to kind of get her awake? No, she was dead. These people knew dead just like we know dead. And they had verified that she was dead. Why did Jesus say she was sleeping? He meant it in this way. Sleeping in the sense uh, that she's about to wake up. That's how you know the difference between somebody who's dead and somebody who's sleeping. Somebody who's dead doesn't wake up, but somebody who's sleeping is about to wake up. And Jesus, in a sense, prophesies what he is about to do. Verse 41, and here, here this, I mean, this is one of the most tender verses in all the Bible. Listen to the heart of your Savior here. Taking her by the hand, which by the way, Jew was not supposed to touch a dead body. He wasn't supposed to touch a, a woman in, in, uh, in the menstrual hemorrhage either, but Jesus didn't care, okay? He makes all things clean. He doesn't become unclean. He takes her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, this is so sweet, okay? Talitha kumi. It's Aramaic, okay? Jesus spoke Aramaic. The Bible's written New Testament in Greek, and occasionally the writers will give the Aramaic, which is what Jesus would have actually said, and then translates it. And that's what Mark does. It means, little girl, I say to you, and I read other people talking about that word there, Talitha. It's, it's, a, it's a word or a term of, of endearment. I saw translations like honey, lamb, sweetheart. Dads of daughters, what did you or what do you call your, little, your pet name for your, for your daughter? Most dads have something like that. I'll tell you what mine is, and I'm probably losing my man card in the church by telling you this, but... And I have witnesses in the front row to verify this, but I call them my lovey doveys. <laughs> Carolee is the oldest, she's lovey. Madeline is the youngest, she's dovey. And so they're lovey dovey, or loveys for short. Amen, girls in the front row? <laughs> 
That's what I call them, my little lovey doveys. And that's the sense of it here. Jesus comes tenderly to this girl and, and with a term of tenderness and endearment, he says, lovey, I say to you, come to life. Verse 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> Imagine Jairus's joy in this. I mean, there's only a few parents who've had the experience at the, at, during the time of Jesus to lose a child to death, but then now for that child to come back to life. In fact, the Greek word for amazement there is the word that we get, ecstasy. This is a kind of parental ecstasy, to lose your child, but then to have them back alive again. Only very few know that joy. Those whose lives intersected with the ministry of Jesus. And that's the story of the little lovey-dovey. That's the story of the little girl who Jesus raised back to life. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Steve, I thought that we were going to be talking about Jesus' resurrection, and here we are now talking about the little girl's resurrection, and I'm struggling uh, to see the connection. Why are we talking about this girl, this resurrection, today on Easter Sunday? And the answer is, obviously, it is a resurrection. It is a resurrection that foreshadows Jesus' own resurrection, which is what all the resurrections that Jesus performed, Lazarus in particular, was a foreshadowing of Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. But here is why we are talking about this resurrection on this Resurrection Sunday. Because in the story, Jesus invites this girl back to life. Summons Jairus' daughter back to life. Little lamb, I say to you, arise. And this is what Jesus offers today to every one of us here. It is an offer to come to life. Besides the historical reality of, of Jesus' resurrection, we've talked about that many times, Easter is an invitation Built into what Jesus did when he walked out of that tomb is an invitation to all of us to come to life. And what life is Jesus inviting us to? Okay? I want you to realize today that he is inviting us to resurrection life someday. He is inviting us to new life today. And he is inviting us to eternal life forever. I want to walk through each one of those with you. Resurrection life someday. This is typically what we think about on Easter Sunday. I mean, let's be honest. We get gathered together. We celebrate the resurrection of, of Jesus from the dead. But in our, like, in our hearts, the thing that we're rejoicing in Jesus' resurrection, but we're also clapping for the fact because he was resurrected, that means I'm going to be resurrected someday. That means that, that I have that resurrection life. And this is what Jesus was getting at in John 11 before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that when he raised the little girl from the dead, and when he raised Lazarus from the dead, and when he himself walked out of the tomb, 
These were validations of the offer that Jesus himself gives to resurrection for all who believe and trust in him. They authenticate the claim that he is life. And one thing to realize about God is that God is, that God is life. He is indestructible. And when Jesus raised that little girl back to life, he did so so that we might know that he is a resurrector. He is somebody that resurrects people. He is life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is a promise from Jesus to all who are authentic believers in him that if we trust in, in Christ as our Savior, it means that when we die, our bodies die, but we don't die. The real us, that inner me, my personality and my consciousness, my story, that goes on. I won't ever actually die. Now, my body will die, and that body will go into the grave. But the real us will live and live forever. This is, uh, I often quote this quote when I do funerals. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody, who said... When you hear that D.L. Moody has died, don't you believe it for a minute? For then I shall be more alive than I have ever been. And that's the point Jesus said. You know, they, they challenged him about the resurrection. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in it, that's why they were so sad, you see. Uh, and Jesus says, what did God say? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, Abraham's alive, and Isaac's alive, and Jacob's alive. And all who trust and believe in Jesus, when we die, will also be alive. And I've got some bad news. We're all going to die. In a hundred years, everybody in this room is dead. And right now, what I'm saying to you may not seem that relevant, but that's because everything in your life is awesome. It's not going to remain that way. We all are going to decline and to die. Further, Jesus promises that our bodies are also a part of this resurrection. That someday he is going to resurrect our bodies and our souls will join with our bodies someday and we will live an embodied existence forever. Is that a blessing? For sure. There are members of our church who were here last year on Easter and their bodies are in local cemeteries today. And that same thing will be true a year from now for people that attend this service. Their bodies are dead. They are alive. And someday that body is going to be resurrected. When is that going to happen? Someday Jesus is going to say to all of his people, Talitha Kumi, I say to all of you, arise. One text, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's a wonderful encouragement, except when you don't think about it. Or you think, I'm never going to die, and I'm just going to be awesome forever and ever. No, you're dead. We're all dead. And that's why this promise, when, when you're on your deathbed, what are you thinking about? We ought to, as Christians, be thinking about the fact this is not the end. Jesus made me a promise. Life after bodily death. 
And that's what we typically are kind of clapping about on Easter, and we celebrate when Jesus walked out of that tomb. And it's a wonderful truth, amen. But it's only part of the offer that Jesus gives. Because it's not just that someday resurrection life will be mine. Jesus is offering new life now, today. And this is what Brittany's testimony, I think, was so powerful as she talked about you know, if you listen, she doesn't talk about, well, I'm so glad I became a Christian because someday I know that when I die, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live. Even though I think she believes that, she didn't talk about that. She talked about the difference that Jesus has made in her life today. And what is that thing that is at work in her life? Well, it's a person, the Holy Spirit, but it is a power. It is resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is a power and a change and an effect that God grants to Christians today. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, it was the power of the future kingdom entering into this world of death and decay and bringing life to Jesus because God is life. There is no death in him. There is no darkness in him. He is indestructibly alive. Our world is all death. It is all decay. It is always degrading and getting worse and worse. So world peace becomes war, like in Ukraine today. The up economy crashes. The harmony in marriage easily shattered. The house is picked up, and then the kids come home from school. There's a law of thermodynamics that talks about that, I believe. Mommies in particular, just you think like a scientist. We, everything goes from order to chaos. Indeed, it does every, every day. But this is the brokenness of the world that we live in. Read the paper and all the, you know, murder and rape and defrauding and, you know, all these things. This is every day that we live in. This is the world that we live in. What do we need? We need life. We need a different life. We need new life. Let me tell you another story about Jesus. And this one, similar to Brittany's, there was one day that Jesus went to a well. He was thirsty. He goes to this well. And he's sitting there by himself. And up walks this woman. And what we find out about this woman is that she has had and lived a very difficult life. Uh, She has been married four times, rejected by four husbands. She's now living uh, immorally with with a man. Uh, She comes walking alone, which probably meant that she had been rejected by all the others in that society, in in her village. And that was because it was a small village where everybody knew everything about everybody else. And this woman was notorious. She was immoral. She was a, uh, you know, who knows what other things you might say about a woman like this. But I can tell you what, she was lonely and she was broken. And she just went to the well to get get some water. And here's Jesus sitting there. Now what do you think the Messiah of God would say to a woman who's lived a life like hers? Here's what Jesus said to her. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will bring, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a picture, welling up to eternal life, like a spring, a never-ending source of pure water. Jesus is offering this woman a new start. Hey, 
You want a new life? I can provide that new life for you. And he goes on to explain how he's the Messiah. And she becomes convinced of this. And she rushes back to the village and tells everybody, uh, come meet the man who's told me everything that I ever did. And the people in the village were like, well, that's a woman who's done a lot of things. I'd like to meet a guy that knows everything that this woman has ever done. And they were introduced to Jesus through her. Can I ask you, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Like the woman, is your life broken? Is your life hard? And if you say, not really, just wait, okay? Just wait. It is at the wells of life when we are spiritually thirsty that the words of Jesus and the offer of Jesus for a new life become so rich and powerful within us to all who will believe. And last Easter, Brittany came and she attended one of these services just like you are here today. And I wonder if in this Easter, we have a Brittany 2022. Might God work in your life? Might God bring new life through Christ to you as you heard Brittany share in her own story? What a difference Jesus can make when we turn from our old ways and our old sins that are bringing so much heartache to us anyway and we turn to Jesus by faith and we receive forgiveness for all the junk that we've done in our life and we receive in that forgiveness we receive a new power in our life we receive a new life in Christ and I would urge you today to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and to receive by faith this salvation, this offer of new life in him. Because the resurrection is about new life right now, okay? So, it is resurrection life someday, it is new life today. Thirdly, come to life includes eternal life forever. Surely this is one of the best promises of all, isn't it? I mean, to think about the fact that as a Christian, I have the promise from God that my life will continue uh, time without end. Here's Jesus in John 10. I learned this verse as a a boy. It's always been one of my favorites. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Sometimes in funerals, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, actually before the funeral, I'll talk to a family and I'll, I'll use this verse. And I'll say, you know what this means? Okay? And I'll, I'll pull out like a quarter or a penny. I got a penny here today. I'll say, this is what it means. Okay? That we are in the hand of the Son of God. And how strong a hand is that? Now, I'll tell you, last night before the service, I shook the hand of a U.S. Marine. I think I still feel it, baby. I don't know. <laughs> Those guys do a lot of push-ups, and he had a very strong grip, and I got done shaking hands with him, and I turned, and, and here's this apparent bodybuilder, and I shook his hand, and, and I'd love to see those two go at it, because both of them were very firm grips, and that's the sense of this, that we are in the hand of Jesus, and he says, nobody can snatch my people out of my hand, and my Father, who's greater than me and greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand as well. 
and that we are in the hand of God, that our eternal life, this promise, is sure because God is powerful and he is a promise keeper. And today, I'm just so glad that we can celebrate this in this world. This world is, it has some happy things in it, and I hope you have a nice lunch, blah, blah, blah. But largely speaking, this world is incredibly disappointing and filled with heartaches. Some things happy, but mostly heartache. Come to life. Come to life. This world is temporary happiness with eternal heartache. In Jesus, it is temporary heartache with eternal happiness. Which would you choose? This is the offer that Jesus gives if you will come to life. I think about the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a, a theologian, German theologian, ethicist, young man from a, a well-to-do famous family in Germany, and the Nazis came, and World War II, and all the rest, and, and uh, he participated in a plot to kill Hitler. If you've ever seen the movie Valkyrie, he was in that sort of circle. And the Germans found out, and they arrested him, and he was in you know, camps for a couple of years, terrible conditions. Finally, he was sentenced to death on April 9th, 1945, and the Nazi guards came to get him out of the barracks and to take him uh, to be hung. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said to them, for you, it is the end. For me, it is the beginning. What did he mean by that? It is a new beginning, a new experience of resurrection life. Bonhoeffer was about to step into a beginning, a days without end, life forever. With Christ, death is merely the beginning. Without him, it is the end. Bonhoeffer came to life. Come to life. How do we do that? Well, here's why I want you to remember the words that Jesus said to Jairus when they heard that his daughter had died. Do not fear, only believe. Salvation is something that we receive. It is not merited. We don't earn it. You don't have to pray, a, you know, walk to your car on your knees. You don't need to pray a thousand prayers this afternoon. Salvation is something that we receive as a gift from God. It is by faith alone in Christ. And like Jairus, and like the woman at the well, and like Brittany that we heard earlier, maybe this could be you today. Might this be the day that you come to life? Yes, a life someday, but also a new life today. And my urging is that you come to life. Come to Jesus, who is life. Do not fear, only believe. Easter 2022, amen.